Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 14 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program every other Wednesday at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, yada, yada, yada. Now, today we're going to be discussing a very special issue of DC Comics Presents from 1985. Now, this is uh, one of those books that I was always told, you know, you gotta read this one. You know, I, I don't really get recommended DC Comics Presents issues all that often. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's that one I'm looking for that has uh, the first appearance of the new Titans, but uh, this is one of those books that people really point to and tell you, you know, you gotta check this one out. And it's uh, it's written by Alan Moore, and uh, and for that reason, it uh, always kind of intimidated me. I uh, I covered this one on the blog back on December 29th, 2016, so a little while back, but. Uh, I was a little trepidatious before I did it because, uh, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a guy who thinks I'm getting my facts wrong all the time as it is, but uh, kind of, when you're when you're kind of like stepping into like an Alan Moore book, I feel like any of those mistakes might be amplified. I, you know, I feel like if I'm covering, you know, a Carrie Bates issue of uh, Superman from the 70s, you know, I might be able to let something slide that I make a mistake on or something. But uh, when it's an Alan Moore book, I don't know, I feel like... Uh, I feel like I'm doing it a, a grander disservice if I get anything wrong, or if I'm not uh, 100% knowledgeable about it, which uh, it kind of handcuffs me because uh, you know I'm not 100% knowledgeable on anything. But uh, this is a, a book that uh, is very special to a lot of people, and uh, we're discussing it today basically to facilitate uh, the guest we're going to have for the second half of the program. That's my good friend Dave Schultz. Uh, he's a huge Swamp Thing fan. Um, and we're going to talk about his Swamp Thing fandom uh, for a little while. It's going to be a pretty long conversation. Uh, we're really not going to touch so much on this issue, but I figured eh, it's a decent enough uh, way to parlay into his story. Now, a little bit more about this issue. Uh, in addition to it being one that, you know, you're told you got to check out, it was also one of uh, the run that uh, would be priced kind of high. You know, it was a... Uh, it was a notable book. It was a, a key book, I suppose, of this volume, anyway. And uh, it's one of those books I was never able to track down uh, as I was looking for it. And then I finally found it. Uh, I actually found it on my birthday in a, a quarter bin at Half Price Books. Uh, it was uh, on, in 2016. And I found it in the quarter bin. I pulled it out. It was bagged and boarded. And uh, I always pull the price tags off the bags and boards. I, I don't know, you know, collecting comics is kind of a solitary thing. So I don't know what everybody's methods are. If uh, folks leave the tags on, if if you fold them behind the book or behind the backing board, I, you know, there's so many different ways to do it. But, uh, you know, I pulled the price tag off and uh, there was another sticker under it from a uh, local comic shop that had closed down since. And the price tag on it was $18. So it was... Uh, Pretty crazy to find uh, to find that in the quarter bin, and yeah, that happens from time to time. You find the uh, the real uh, the real gems in the uh, in the quarter bin. But uh, after the horns, we will take a look at this team up between Superman and Swamp Thing. Alrighty, DC Comics presents number eighty five, cover dated September nineteen eighty five. Stories called the Jungle Line, written by Alan Moore, penciled by Rick Veach, inked by Al Williamson. Letters John Costanza, colors Tatiana Wood, edited by Julia Schwartz, came with a cover price of 75 cents. 
Now, we open with an exhausted, fevered, and five o'clock shadowed Clark Kent driving south on a desolate highway. Riding shotgun is a strange rock with an even stranger growth on it. We learn from the narration that he is driving south in order to die. The splash page depicts an odd scarlet sky, and, uh, gotta say, this uh, probably isn't due to Christ's on infinite earth this time. To explain just what in the world is going on, we're going to have to go back in time a few days to an exhibition at the Institute for Extraterrestrial Studies, where news reporters Clark Kent and Lana Lang are in attendance. A Dr. Everett is showing off a small meteorite, which is of significance due to the fact that it has a strange pink living fungus on it, which somehow survived its trip through space. Clark used his microscopic vision on the mass, and once he's able to focus, he recognizes it from his youth on Krypton. He's immediately shaken by his revelation and feigns dizziness in order to leave the event. Or maybe he's actually really feeling dizzy. Either way, he ain't feeling right. He digs through this, his memory banks and concludes that the fungus on the meteorite is Averal Uthotus, uh, more commonly known as blood moral. It comes from a scarlet jungle on Krypton. Exposure to the crud causes death in 92% of cases reported in Kryptonians. Once it gets into the host body's bloodstream, that's usually all she wrote. Now, the next day, Clark notices that his powers appear to be on the fritz. He somehow gets a paper cut as his invulnerability failed to protect him, and uh, he would be without it for an hour, his invulnerability. Later on, his x-ray vision and super hearing would turn off, resulting in him walking in on a pair of co-workers about to uh, christen a storeroom. By the end of the day, the x-ray vision returns, but not the hearing. Now, rather than risk flying home and falling out of the sky, Clark decides to take the subway. We jump to that night where he begins hallucinating, and, uh, and he's awakened by, well, he's, he's awakened by his Superman costume and his Clark Kent togs. The, uh, the pairs of clothes are arguing over whether or not he should accept his fate, having been exposed to the, exposed to the blood moral. Superman insists he fight it. Kent suggests he just accept it. The next morning, Clark's superhearing comes back at a most inopportune time, right as he's walking to work during a busy and loud morning commute. He decides to check in with Dr. Everett at the Institute in order to inquire about borrowing the specimen. Everett's more than cooperative with Superman's request, and so he takes it home. He uses his microscopic vision on the fungus in order to deduce whether or not he might concoct an antidote to the infection. As he scans, his microscopic vision stops working. It's here that Superman resigns himself to his fate, which is death. First, however, he must consider where he'll go to die. He thinks about his friends, both costumed and otherwise, and decides that he should just head south. He wishes to avoid being anywhere near the superhero community when he passes. We hop back to the present, and Clark has, uh, well, he's fallen asleep behind the wheel of his car, which careens off the highway, flips onto its roof, and then bursts into flames. Clark stumbles out of the car holding the meteorite. He is engulfed in flames. He sees himself as wandering through the scarlet jungle as he shambles through the clearing. He eventually collapses right at the feet of our friend Swamp Thing. Now we hop back into Superman's head where he's being haunted by the spirits of the Scarlet Jungle. In the real world, Swamp Thing notices that this fallen commuter's face is fairly familiar, however he cannot quite place it. He sees the meteorite and decides to examine it. Once he touches it, it makes contact. Suddenly, for a brief moment, 
Swamp Thing sees himself in the Scarlet Jungle as well. He releases the stone and is whisked back into reality. Swamp Thing continues to study Clark's face as he mutters in Kryptonian. Swampy opens his jacket, which reveals the familiar S. At this point, Superman wakes up and unleashes a blast of heat vision. Now, Superman is back among the living. However, by this point, he has gone quite mad. He stirs up a hurricane with his breath, and he boils the nearby lakes. Swamp Thing deducts that that should Superman continue this intensity of exertion he would almost definitely die. And so he grabs the mossy meteorite and makes a contact chain between him, it, and Superman. Suddenly the pair, or now trio, are in the Scarlet Jungle. Superman is panicking, yelling at the spirits that haunted him on his last visit there. He crushes Swamp Thing's hand in anger, and with madness in his eyes, wallops Swampy with an uppercut. All the while, Swamp Thing is calmly discussing Superman's likely fate. Finally, Superman begins to remember just what is going on. Swamp Thing invites him to take his hand and allow the endless green into his body to allow him to extinguish that scarlet heat. Superman falls unconscious and Swamp Thing breaks contact. He brushes his hand across Superman's face and notes that the fever is fading. The Superstorm is also ended. Swamp Thing smiles, knowing that today will not be Superman's last, and he walks away. We wrap up with Superman regaining consciousness, with his powers intact, and back to normal. He grips the meteorite and flies back Metropolis Way, never knowing about his swampy encounter. Swamp Thing sees him flying overhead and smiles, before disappearing into the swampy horizon. Well, 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 that was a... Heck of an issue, wasn't it? Um, you know, a lot of times you hear about these stories that you need to read. And, uh, you know, I think you set your expectations a little higher than uh, you need to. And you wind up disappointed or at least underwhelmed. Um, that wasn't the case here. Uh, this was really an amazing story. Um, it's very, very strange that this issue literally could have been the death of Superman. And, uh, and it would have uh, occurred in a relatively quiet issue of DC Comics Presents with little to no fanfare, uh, no big blowout fight, no clash with a supervillain, no Skate 800 variant covers. This is just Superman falling ill and uh, accepting his fate. It's uh, very, very well done. Now, it's it's kind of interesting to read this issue now, uh, you know, due to the fact that, I mean, it's not too long ago we lost the New 52 Superman uh, before all the uh, revisions uh, after he dealt with an illness. Um, he himself had come to grips with his own mortality, and uh, while he went out with a bang, it's still pretty interesting to see uh, that one in light of this one. You know, thinking about a Superman who knows he's about to die. You know, he uh, he's resigned to his fate. He knows it's coming, and he purposely avoids having a run-in with any members of his superhero community, his superhero family. Um, it's really just kind of sobering, isn't it? Um, Let's jump over to Swamp Thing. He was used uh, very well here. Um, Considering this is an Alan Moore Swamp Thing story, a couple of things we could uh, take as a certainty here. Uh, First, Swamp Thing will be portrayed pretty perfectly. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is a pretty intimidating (laughs) issue to to analyze and discuss. Um, Now, I love how Swamp Thing is depicted as sort of a wandering soul here. Um, As uh, as me and Dave are going to talk about, uh, my Swamp Thing experience my my swamp thing fandom is uh it's kind of uh in and out you know i uh 
I've never read a prolonged run. I, I read like the first half of the Alan Moore run and then kind of just fell out of it. But uh, it's a I, I do love the depiction here. Um, and you know he happens across a fallen commuter and stops to see if he is any, anything he can do. You know he didn't know this was Superman. He just thought that this was someone who needed his help. Uh, he's really shown as a, a true altruist here. Uh, he's not stepping in to help out for his own for any personal gain or, or even any recognition. He, uh, you know, he takes the mossy, the mossy meteorite, and he risks his own life. Uh, and he did so for all he knew, just for some guy, just some guy who was in a car accident. Now, of course, we know Superman isn't just some anything, but Swamp Thing only learned that after he'd already committed to helping him. I think that's really cool. Now, it's strange. It's weird that the, the calming and peaceful presence that Swamp Thing is, you know. We have, uh, just before he arrives, we have a couple of pages depicting, you know, f- car flying off the highway, exploding in a ball of flame, you know. We have the, the scarlet jungle. The, it's just so, it, it's just so chaotic, you know. And then Swamp Thing shows up and suddenly, like, the art just kind of just, we're bathed in this, like, tranquility, tranquil green, you know. And uh, there's this lightness and uh, and almost a relief for us when he arrives, you know. Um, it's weird, you have, like, a, a monster, you know, and there's a measure of safety in this character that I, uh, I'm not quite sure how to quantify, but you know it's there, you know, it's kind of like when we try to quantify what heart is in a story, which, which this one, of course, has in spades, but it's just, you, you can't really explain where the tranquility comes from, but it is there, and it, it's really cool. Now, uh, we jump to the ending here. It was also really well done. Uh, I like that Superman doesn't know, nor will he ever know, just how close he was to dying, and that he has Swamp Thing to thank for his recovery. Uh, I like, you know, I mentioned Swamp Thing's an altruist here. He's not a glory hog. He's not looking for recognition or a pat on the back here. And, uh, you know, Superman's recovered from scarier things than this anyway, so this is kind of just like a non, non-issue, uh, which... It sounds ridiculous because this is such an amazing issue, but it just kind of passes. Um, let's look at the art here. Uh, you know, I really wasn't sure what to expect here when I first read this. Uh, this is one that I, I wouldn't read digitally. Uh, you know, a lot of my you gotta read books I refuse to read in collected form in digital. I have to own the original. Uh, I mean, like right now, I there's you know tell I uh, was it New Teen Titans number two the first appearance of Deathstroke I've never read that issue ever it's been collected skate 800 times it's available digitally I could get it any second but I refuse to read it until I have the actual issue and that was the same thing with uh, with this one because this was one of those books that I was always told check this one out and I refused to until I actually owned it now uh we got Rick Veach here and I never really pegged him as a Superman artist but uh he really he really does knock it out of the park here. Uh, his Clark and Superman are both great, um, even in his haggardness. Uh, you know, there's this uh, regal and important look to him. You you know that he is something special. Uh, his Swamp Thing has an incredible kindness in his eyes, uh, which might add to that feeling of comfort that we discussed earlier. It's really just a wonderful issue, and uh, I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's available in several ways here. Uh, it's in the DC Universe, the Stories of Alan Moore trade collection. Uh, it's available digitally for a couple bucks. I mean, it's it's easy to get a hold of if you want to check it out. And I, I definitely recommend you do. Um, this is a darn fine issue of DC Comics Presents. And uh, 
I'm so happy I, I got this opportunity to share it with you all, and I hope uh, I hope some of you actually track it down and and, and experience it for yourselves. Um, with that out of the way, we will uh, go to the horns, and then we will hop over to my discussion with uh, with Dave Schultz about uh, his Swamp Thing fandom, and of course his uh, comic Secret Origin. And then we'll wrap everything up with a hot take, uh, with a Swamp Thing-themed hot take, which uh, comes to us from a Usenet post in 1983. So, a lot of fun ahead, so uh, I hope you all stay tuned, and uh, I'll send it over to uh, Dave and I right now. Alrighty, and we're back, and I am joined by a good friend of mine, Dave Schultz. Uh, How you doing, Dave? I am great, Chris. Thank you for having me on. And how are you? Oh, you know, hanging in there. And uh, the reason we just discussed DC Comics Presents number 85 was basically to facilitate the conversation we're about to have here. I've uh, <laughs> been wanting to talk to you about uh, about your comics fandom as well as your Swamp Thing fandom, because I, I, I kind of consider myself uh, like a half-ass Swamp Thing fan. Um, mm-hmm. Like I read a lot of the early Moore stuff, but I, I always kind of peter out around the same point uh, every time i try to read it uh where i know you have a very extensive knowledge uh, you're one of the most knowledgeable swamp thing fans that i know and uh and uh, one of the most passionate fans too because you've read I, i'm pretty sure you've read all of it i have i am <laughs> indeed but before we get into swamp thing uh-huh. something we do here on the show is uh tell us about your secret origin uh, how did you how did you meet comic books how did comic books become a thing that you do yeah, great question, because now as an older collector, I kind of look at, at fans now mm-hmm. and I think to myself, wow, they, they're into the comics or maybe they're into a character, maybe not even the comics per se, because of a movie, because sure. of a film. And of course, I think that's lame. But in the <laughs> early 80s, what got me hooked initially was the Incredible Hulk cartoon. OK, I, I don't know if you ever remembered that it was after the uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Yep. And it's yeah. OK, so. I would watch this as a kid and my aunt would take me to the local candy store every weekend. Nice little visits. I go buy my, my junk and rot my teeth. But one day I looked over at the magazine rack and the incredible Hulk annual number 11 was sitting there. Okay. And it totally sucked me in. The Hulk is holding the planet, looking down on it in a menacing fashion with a bunch of other heroes surrounding him. It looks like they're poised to attack and at that young, tender age, I mean, that looked like the action I was accustomed to from the sure. cartoon. And I got that. My aunt bought it for me that day. And that has been the story of my life ever since. <laughs> it got me hooked and I never gave up on comics. How about that? Now, in addition to the Hulk, what, what did that kind of uh, did you stay with Hulk at first or did you expand your uh, your reading horizons there? Were there any other books that you uh, that you noticed and uh, sucked you in as well? I've always stuck with the Hulk. It's been like for the most majority of my life, I was mm-hmm. fanatical about it. Mm-hmm. But it did make me experience other heroes as well. And the great thing, again, about that annual, it featured a lot of other characters. Certainly. So it really uh, opened my mind that there's a lot of other stuff out there. And I was, I guess, for lack of a better term, for the majority of my youth, a Marvel zombie. Sure. sure. Where I was I, buying I whatever relate. was, yeah, whatever <laughs> was on the racks that was Marvel. I was going and picking it up because we didn't really have comic book specialty stores back then. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had to go to uh, we had store 24 or um, just different places around town that might carry comics on, on the regular racks. And uh, sure. that's where you get your reads. Absolutely. Now, uh, you said you uh, you've been with the Hulk 
basically most of your life. Was there ever a time that you that you might have walked away from the hobby? A lot of us have those stories where, you know, we we spy the opposite sex or or, mm-hmm. or whatever, <laughs> and uh, we uh, and we walk away. We uh, we have other priorities. So uh, was there a point in your life where maybe comics just uh, weren't the tippity top of your priorities? I was always keeping track of the Hulk and buying mm-hmm. the Hulk, but I did give up on comics as a majority, you know, entertainment medium for myself because sure. I was into, like you said, the opposite sex, uh, you know, rock and roll, partying and stuff like that, <laughs> which happens, you know. Sure. And then uh, I was living in Portland, Maine at the time, and I walked into the local comic book shop there, Casablanca Comics, I believe it was called. Uh, what When and, was this about? Uh, the late 90s, because okay. what I saw was Heroes Reborn. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, so like 96, 97. Okay. Give or take. Yeah. And sure. I, that's why I say I was like, you know, later teenage years. And I, I was like, what's going on with this? You know, because <laughs> they, they touched upon it a little bit in the Hulk, but I really hadn't checked out any of the, the other titles or tie-ins. Okay. And... I started buying those and it kind of wrote me back into just really getting a massive <laughs> pull list. Sure, sure. Now, did you uh, did you leave around the time of like the, the speculation boom? Was that uh, is that when you kind of walked away or was that part of the reason you walked away or uh, or did that you survive that reason. entire deal? <laughs> I did survive that entire deal. It wasn't like a, a whole collector's thing like, oh, you know, forget about this. This sure. is going the way of the birds or anything like that. No, it was just life interests. And I was in bands and I was doing a lot of stuff, moving around a lot. OK, uh, so it really it really uh, was based more on that than anything else. And again, I always took the Hulk with me. It was one of those okay. things I always had to have. Until Your touchstone, yes. It was my touchstone to the point where I had to have Hulk posters, Hulk keychains, Hulk every. I even got a Hulk, Hulk tattoo. tattoo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the character so much. And then later on, I learned a valuable lesson thanks to the Hulk of uh, how to let go. How about we talk about that? That's that's a that's a story that you you started to share with me, but I didn't want you to share it with me because I wanted it fresh <laughs> on the air here. Okay. But, uh, yes, uh, you know, a lot of us have those. I I hate using the trite can't quit you sort of mm-hmm. a term, but uh, a lot of us have those. I mean, I've got far too many of them <laughs> to, uh, right, right. to even really relate, but you have uh, the Hulk was your touchstone. That was what that was comics to you. So uh, to leave that, I would imagine was a pretty big deal. So how about you, you share that story with the, with the gang here? Big deal. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Uh-huh. It was just, it was like tearing my heart out. I mean, it was to the point where I cared more about the Hulk than, than a lot of people that I knew in real life. Mm-hmm. The character meant so much to me, but sure. uh, there was a point in time where Jeff Loeb or Loeb, Loeb. I don't know how you say it, Loeb, <laughs> like earlobe, uh, Ed McGinnis took over the Hulk and it seemed fine and dandy to start, but they introduced a new character called Rolk, the mm, Red Hulk, Hulk. Yes, and it just drove me insane. I really don't like variations of characters like this whole, um, it's so popular now, Into the Spider-Verse, right? There's multiple sure. Spider-Men everywhere. I'm like, no, I really only want one Spider-Man. You only need the one. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, really, don't go that crazy with with a bunch of different versions. And the Hulk was doing that. Everybody had to be gamma irradiated. And to me, it kind of took away from the specialness of the character. Certainly. And I, I really didn't care for that. So it came to a point wherein I was thinking to myself, I really don't like this storyline. It's, it's bothering me. I pick up the, the Hulk, something I used to love and cherish every month. And I open it, and it's just making me angry i'm not enjoying it anymore how how can i control that what can i do and so i sat i agonized over it i mean i i I have a a full run of the hulk since the 80s i just what can i do and the answer came to me dave close your wallet 
That's all they care about. They don't care about you like you care about the Hulk. They only sure. care about the dollars that you're spending on the character. And uh, again, it was painful, man, <laughs> beyond belief. And I, I hope it doesn't sound too pathetic. Like, no, you know, I, oh, I, I had to give I, up a comic book. It tore me apart. No, but I, it, I think it, anybody oh, still listening uh, can, can relate. <laughs> oh, okay, great. But yeah, so... I closed my wallet. I took it off my poll list. I mean, even the people at my comic books were like, you, you what? Yeah. You're, you're not going to get the Hulk anymore. And I'm like, no, I just can't support it. I really don't like it. And, and sure. it's um, unfortunate because the series really hasn't rebounded since then. So in hindsight, it was a wise decision just for that. And then too, it taught me a valuable lesson, a sure. really big lesson that I don't need to buy everything that you can drop it and survive. Yes, exactly. Well, okay, that was yes. I did wake up the next day. You know, <laughs> the sun did rise again and everything else. But uh, again, as a collector, I don't need to buy every piece of plastic. I don't need to buy every little mini series or one shot or anything that really a lot of them are garbage being sure. pushed on the fans because they know you're loyal. They know you're going to buy it no matter what because you you care. Mm-hmm. I've broken that cycle, baby. I'm free. That's a lesson a lot of us need to learn, including uh, someone you're talking to right this way. I know you're sick. You need help. (laughs) help. (laughs) Now, this was uh, the Red Hulk was what, around 2007, 2008 ish? Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Where uh, that was like coming right off the heels of World War Hulk, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, the World War Hulk thing actually wasn't too bad. It was kind of a cool little event. That was the Greg Pak event. That was a pretty good uh, – that was him returning from uh, Planet Hulk where he was shipped during uh, Civil War or for, before Civil War. Yes, they shipped him off, and he the spaceship went off course. He landed on this planet, and then uh, he actually made a home there, and he, he had a mm-hmm. wife and everything else, and the spaceship uh, – spaceship, sorry – exploded wiped out everything and that's why he returned to earth mm-hmm. mad as heck and ready to destroy everything and it was kind of cool but uh greg pack boy he, he's not my favorite hulk writer but i i have uh <laughs> i don't want to sound like mr negativity or anything sure, sure. I, there's a lot of stuff i really do enjoy but but the last boy the last decade of the hulk has not been uh i don't think it's been kind and a lot of people now are going really gaga over the immortal hulk which yeah. i don't get and I, I accepted it first with open arms and was so anxious to finally get a good Hulk book and Banner is back. No more <laughs> Amadeus Cho and all this stuff. And uh, it, it really let me down. So I'm a yeah. sourpuss. So you uh, did you ever dip your toe back in in the interim between uh, Red Hulk and Immortal Hulk? Did you did you test the waters at all? Yeah, I did. Uh, Jason Aaron had a okay. uh, stint on the character that was mm-hmm. – it's one of those series kind of, I kind of want to give a mulligan to because he was touching on some cool themes, but they weren't fleshed out properly. Now, I even think – I think he was advised that he needs to focus more on S.H.I.E.L.D. than the Hulk, so. Yeah, uh, and the whole Mark <laughs> Waid thing, too, with the whole yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the indestructible Hulk, yeah, it was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't enough to float my boat. There was sure. uh, uh, Jerry Duggan. He had a really good series going on, and I liked it a lot because he was removing the gamma powers from all of these versions of uh, different variations of the Hulk. Yeah, because, I mean, we even had, like, Rick Jones was A-bomb. He was a blue Hulk. How Um, terrible is that? I mean, it's great to sell to kids. And I understand comics. I got hooked on comics as a kid, but as an adult, 
I don't want to read that kind of yeah it, we got color-coded hulks and everything yep. else no I don't want that give me a good uh, I hate to say it but like the, the Peter David inspired uh, going into the psyche of the Hulk sure and, and the sure. damage he, you know he had as a child from his father and all this that was like really groundbreaking stuff and then we get again a bomb yep. no come on and, uh, Marlo uh, as Harpy and uh, oh God Betty as the Red She-Hulk and then there were like two Green She-Hulks the Savage She-Hulk it was just uh it, it, like you mentioned it just it made the Hulk less uh less special it did it's, for me uh, absolutely and it bothered me to no end still does <laughs> sure sure no yeah. absolutely I'm with you there but what we're gonna talk about now is a different Green character mm-hmm. that uh that you have an affinity and affection for uh. When did you discover Swamp Thing? Oh, boy. It was a uh, picture the cold, dark streets of Webster, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And a young boy sees a smoke shop. He walks in and, and sees a bunch of comic books on one rack. But if you look up, there's some uh, more adult material sitting there. This is, what, <laughs> this is another one of those places I was telling you about my hometown that would sell comics, among other things. And uh, I don't know why they were letting little kids in there. Again, it was a cigar shop, a smoke <laughs> shop. But I walk in and I see this this copy of Swamp Thing is blue. I see a skull on it and a blue Swamp Thing floating in the eyeball. I just thought the imagery was so cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got, I get it. I buy it. I bring it home. And it's Swamp Thing in outer space. And the story was so mature. I wasn't. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but the content was. And it almost felt like I need to hide it from my mother or something. Like if I had like a dirty magazine. Sure. You know? In my house, like what they sold at Chet Smoke Shop. But uh, I was fascinated with it. I really I couldn't get over this plant being struggling with all these emotions, being stranded in space. And it's kind of funny now in hindsight, because being so familiar with with the lore of the character, mm-hmm. that was so out of the element of what Swamp Thing is. You know, his sure. essence. I mean, just the name alone, you know, Swamp Thing, he belongs in the swamp, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so that was very uh, out of the wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that was Swamp Thing number fifty-six, uh, My Blue Heaven by Alan Moore, and it got me interested in the character. And from then, or from there rather, I, I went out and started seeking out more of the traditional Swamp Thing stuff, anything I, Swamp Thing related I could find. Mm-hmm. I remember even being a little kid and writing on my my um, my calendar. Someday I'm gonna write Swamp Thing, and today is day of the Swamp Thing. I was just fascinated by. It. I was so sucked in. About what year was this? Oh, this was the late 80s. Okay. I want to say it was uh, 87 or 88, give or take. So the so the Moore book was current at the time. Yes, yes, okay. it was. Okay. Right, yes. So, okay, so you did, you did discover it during the Moore run. Okay. I did. And you said you, you collected anything Swamp Thing from that point on that you could get a hold of. What – what was your uh, what was your experience? Were you were you able to go far enough back to uh, to like earlier in the war run or even in the Pasco run or before that? Were you able to do that that yeah. early on? Well, no, not all of it. Like because I, because I mean this is going into the speculation era, so I, yeah, <laughs> back yeah. issue prices were kind of kind of kind of wiggy. No, I wasn't finding like the Ween and rights and the stuff, but I was sure. finding some of the more recent uh, back issues involving the Alan Moore stories. Um, mm-hmm. The Pasco stuff, that that stuff I did find floating around because we did have one card shop open in town, a baseball card yeah. place, and they sold some back issues and they were cheap. Mm-hmm. They weren't worth anything back then. So, yeah, I didn't get hit with any uh, speculator <laughs> prices or anything like that. And then as I matured, of course, I went in, uh, to other towns once we were able to travel. Sure. And I found some uh, some better bins, and that's when I started 
really digging and collecting and, and uh, getting my, my foothold in for my, my love of Swamp Thing. Absolutely. Now, you stayed, uh, clearly, you stayed after Moore left the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Who followed him? Rick Veach? Rick Correct. Veach? Okay. I would and, say uh, Veach. Veach. I, I have a trouble with names. I just call him what I want to call him. And to me, it just sounds better <laughs> as Veach. Veach sounds a lot better than Veach. My tongue makes a weird uh, position when I say Veach. So <laughs> uh, Veach is better for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was a... Uh, now, you, you when you started, it was more, so you knew the more Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Veach comes along, did you notice, did you even notice that it was a new writer? Yeah, well, I mean, it just, um, it definitely took a, a different course. Mm-hmm. And when I wasn't, to be honest with you, back then, particularly fond of, okay, I really didn't like it because he was doing a lot of uh, time hopping stuff, travel okay. time, and I thought it was really trippy material, to be honest with you. And, and while more stuff... Does have that uh, trippy feel to Eddiness, it. yeah. Veach just took it to a whole nother level, man. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the comic sometimes opening up was just like pure psychedelia, you know? Sure, um, sure. And there's the guy who followed him. There was Doug Wheeler, and then later on there was Nancy Collins. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how time really makes you ponder things, right? Because back then I really didn't identify with what was going on with the book. Okay. And there was a, a moment in time where I dropped it. And now when I look back, Nancy Collins' run, which I really didn't like in the early 90s, is one of my mm-hmm. favorite runs of all time now. Okay. Why, why do you think that is? I think because it really touched on a lot of topics that were relevant then but are still relevant today. It okay. reads with a lot of continuity, a lot of flow to it. It feels mm-hmm. like a, a really well-thought-out novella. And okay. maybe, maybe because comic books now don't I, or at least in my <laughs> humble opinion, don't have that same vibe to them or, or sure. flow to them anymore that I can really appreciate what she accomplished back then. And uh, they they recently announced, or just just today or a couple days ago, they announced yeah. that they're collecting her run finally. Finally, but they're is, putting it in one of those omnibuses, and I'm not a big omnibus fan, so I'm those I'm are expensive happy. and they and they're hard to read. But uh, but you've been championing this collection for a long time now. I mean, ever since I've known you, you've been talking about. That this run, this Nancy Collins run that has been left uncollected for yeah. going on 30 years now is should be collected. And now it finally is. So that's a uh, that's really cool. That, yeah. Uh, Chris, you, know, you know me, I go about on about a lot of things, but that was <laughs> I just, it just really didn't make any sense. We're in there reprinting all this rubbish sure, from years sure. and years. But they've never, ever touched on that. Same thing with uh, Pasco and Yates. That's early true. swamp thing for for That's volume two volume two yeah why have they never put that in, in a reprinted edition or, or again an omnibus or whatever nothing nothing it doesn't make any sense now when you were reading to, to take a couple steps back here when you were reading mm-hmm. more stuff and you did discover some pasco stuff how how jarring was that to read the two or did you already have the understanding that that they were going in two different directions or or, or at least from two different uh perspectives where we think it might be Alec Holland or, and then it, we learn that it isn't Alec Holland. How, how was that to experience firsthand? It is, wow. It was really interesting because I was so young, you know, sure. and because I'm thinking about personally, one of the first things I learned about Swamp Thing was the anatomy lesson. So right. it total, uh, it, it's like, you think like we talk about passage of time here. I mean, the first thing I learned about the Judas contract was that Terra turned on the Titans, you know? So it's like, uh, huh. You right. lose the impact and the oomph of what these stories were building to, whether they knew it or not. 
and uh, so like the first thing I learned about Swamp Thing was, you know, okay, well, it's it's everything you thought you knew was wrong. So I, I haven't really talked to too many people who didn't experience it the same way I did. So I'm very curious to hear how uh, how you felt seeing these two disparate uh, takes. Well, the, not even just the takes. When you're saying it, like that's the first thing you kind of learned about Swamp Thing mm. was the anatomy lesson. Back then, there was no internet. I didn't have access to any kind of comic book fan magazines sure. or anything. So when you when you first read those issues or, or the anatomy lesson in particular, it's the most amazing thing. Sure. And it, nothing will ever, ever compare to that because as a reader, I didn't expect it. Sure. I didn't really see it coming. It was just brilliant. Absolute brilliance. And now with the Pasco stuff, like you said, it, it's it's weird when you try to compare them because what Alan Moore did was so groundbreaking. Yeah. It doesn't make the Pasco material bad. It just makes it more traditional. Or more, boilerplate, uh, yeah. Boilerplate. I was gonna. I, I hate to say it, but I was gonna say a little bit more bland. I they weren't bad too, stories. Yeah. <laughs> they were, yeah, but they were good stories. They were. They were. But once more, kind of threw that wrinkle into the character. You're. You can never go back. You know, it's out of the box, and you can't. You cannot put it back in. And uh, that's why Moore to me is the greatest uh, Swamp Thing writer of all time. Sure. And that idea was just uh, really. I, I keep tiptoeing around it, like as <laughs> if. It's been so many years, but somebody listening to this show may not know. Well, <laughs> what, they will by the, the end of the was. episode. They oh, okay. The Great. Anyway. So you can, you can discuss it in, in any depth you'd like. But before you do. Yeah. Now, when you when you did discover Swamp Thing, what was it, 55, you said? Number 56. 50, 56, okay. Did you, uh, and you started collecting back, but I'm, I'm guessing you didn't get to the anatomy lesson right away. No. Did you just assume that this was a man who became a monster? So, yeah, so, okay, so the so the oh that's perfect then. So the anatomy lesson actually worked on you even starting after the anatomy lesson. Yeah, because again, oh, I was wild. I was a kid. I was sure. a kid. So it's not like I was reading too much into it. If I was an adult, you'd be looking for every little every aspect. little hint. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Every little every thing in, in the issue. <laughs> Correct. Right, exactly. And then um no, so I was discovering a lot of stuff for the first time and some of the material was above me. It was sure. it was over my head a little bit because I was so young. And to be perfectly honest with you, thanks, Mom. I had really no no reason to be reading any of this stuff whatsoever, but she didn't care. I mean, really, it was, I could have came home with it, you know, any kind of magazine. It <laughs> wouldn't have been a big deal. But still, she just thinks it's a comic book. But sure. it was so adult in nature, especially that number 56, because some of the themes in there were, were heavy, man, truly mm-hmm. heavy. It's still one of my favorite stories, if not my favorite story of all time. I and some people look at me like, come on, dude. It's just about him being stranded in space all by himself and constructing the world as he wants to see it. And I'm like, well, that's pretty deep to me. Imagine sure. if you were in that situation and you never thought you'd see your loved ones again, but you could recreate them out of plants. Mm-hmm. How would it go? What would it be like? What kind of emotions would you struggle with? And and to me, wow, that is that's unbelievable yep. material. And Alan Moore is the only guy who could pull it off. How about that? No, that, that's that that's great i, I love the, these these are the kind of stories that i love and that's these are the kind of stories I, I always want when when i invite someone on to discuss this kind of stuff i i love these personal takes and just how you know an ordinary issue where you said someone might look at you and be like really that one mm-hmm. but and and you know when, when you think about someone who writes comics and they might not realize that what they're writing right right then and there is going to stick with a person for their entire life and and because it, it is, you know, it's issue 56. It's just the one that comes between 55 and 56, <laughs> you know, 
And yeah. uh, and I uh, I talked to uh, to Jody Yurden a couple of weeks ago about right. Batman 416, where he talked to Jim Starlin about it. And Starlin's like, oh, did I write that? Yeah. It's like you just don't know <laughs> that, uh, that something is going to resonate and stick and uh, probably be, you know, what you picture when you picture a particular character or hero or even time in your life. And yeah. uh, I, I just love that. That is that's that's really, really cool. And hey, as a collector, I lucked out because it's not expensive. So I have <laughs> I have no, I have multiple copies of it. I'm not a, a CGC graded kind of guy, but that's sure. one issue I have slabbed because I like to have it on display in my home because it meant so much to me. Yes, yep. exactly. And if I ever want another one, I can get it for you know half price books or whatever. A couple for, bucks, <laughs> maybe. You know, not even, not even. It's like less than a dollar, and it is nice. to me. I cannot believe that people put so much emphasis on uh spending money on variants that just came out two days ago and it's worth 20 or not worth but they're paying 20 dollars for it sure while swamp thing number 56 is sitting in a bin somewhere for yeah 50 cents or something and Mm -hmm. that's the real value to me the the story is just amazing no that's uh that definitely that tells you when you're a fan of of a character or a fan of a medium instead of trying to you know make a buck or or trying to Get retweets. I don't know, but uh, this is, this <laughs> is the world. That, let's not go down that road now. <laughs> that could be a whole nother episode. It could be. And it could get dark. But uh, no, that's uh, that's a, that's the world we live in. But uh, now you did mention that there was a time that you dropped Swamp Thing. When was this, and why? It, this was during the Nancy Collins run. It's okay. Kind of, uh, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it mm-hmm. because again, here I am all these years later, and I hold it in such high Damn regard. Thing. It's like top three, you know. Sure. And, uh, but again, it's weird because then I was I was just a young kid. I was a young er, early teenage years. I didn't really want to be hit with any of these these moral lessons or, you know, any of the uh, the stuff that's kind of hidden or s- snuck into the comic. Okay. Uh, and it, it bothered me. But now mm-hmm. I look at it and I go, wow, what a master stroke that she was able to weave all these different plot lines, all these different uh, social messages into the book. Mm-hmm. And again, they resonate today uh, with, with the climate that we live in. So it's, it's even more brilliant than ever. How long but was if, her run? Her run mm-hmm. was only was only a couple of years. Okay, well, that's still a, a sizable run compared to how things go. Uh, oh yeah, days. oh absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a nice a long light, nice long run. Yeah. Right. Okay, and uh, what what would bring you back? What, you so you left early nineties. Uh-huh. And uh, when did you come back to the character? When did you rediscover Swamp Thing? Right. Well, she was actually the, I believe, the early 2000s. There, oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. Yes. It was the late 90s and the early 2000s. But I ended up coming back every time they would announce a new book. Because Swamp Thing went through this little bit where it would uh, basically run however a handful of issues, 12 issues, whatever. And then it get canceled. Over. And then yeah. start over again. You get something new. That's where we got the series with Tefe Holland Tefe. Yeah. from Brian K. Vaughn. We had the Andy Diggle run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I would come back when they when they announced it with excitement, like, OK, here we go. Here comes something <laughs> new. Um, I remember even checking out when Mark Millar took over the book. That uh, was still the that was still volume I, two. That what that was vertigo. Yeah. OK. I'm sorry. That was in the 90s. So Nancy Collins stuff was in the 90s, too. Not the 2000s, but OK. Um. Yeah, so I was checking out some of that. But again, it was nothing really making me sink my teeth into anything where I needed to be a completist sure. or to buy everything. So I, I would have a handful of issues of this, a handful of issues of that. And it wasn't until, I want to say, 
some point in my 20s where I just started gobbling up everything and going back, looking at different runs and really reacquiring the full collection as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing, too, was I was never crazy about the Ween rights and stuff as a kid. Even the stuff I came across, which was <laughs> the origins of the character, you know? Sure, sure. And I didn't start appreciate, appreciating that until I was older either. Okay. So, you know, God bless aging. <laughs> there you go. We get uh, we get a uh, we get a little bit more wisdom <laughs> and appreciation for uh, sure. big time. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can think of like you know foods I didn't like when I was a kid, and now couldn't live without them. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it's all broccoli, right? <laughs> Keeping it green. No, because I, I never. I've only read uh, sporadic uh, Swamp Thing. It's one of the uh, one of my you know uh, secrets of fandom uh, because. You know, when you tell people when you're when you're into the the comics, you know, milieu or the whatever, and you don't actually have a working knowledge of one of the you know tentpole characters in fandom, which uh, I do consider Swamp Thing to be uh, one of the you know one of the heavier fandom focused characters, properties, whatever. I mean, you can go over to uh, what is it, Seaquart.com, uh, where they analyze like almost every run. Because people people hold it in such high esteem and high regard, where they they really invested the time in in putting stuff together for it. But I don't have really a working knowledge of it. Uh, the DC Comics Presents book that uh, that uh, that we covered earlier is one of very few that aren't Alan Moore uh, that well, that aren't part of the Alan Moore run, I should say, because mm-hmm. Alan Moore did write that. But uh, that's one of the few that I actually read outside of the Alan Moore run, because and I only read about half of that. Because mm-hmm. it kind of just lost me. So it's it's really cool talking to you about about you know the wider breadth of the character. Uh, even going back to the to the Ween rights and stuff, because I have like zero knowledge of that. <laughs> All I know is what I've read in letters pages. Basically, I don't know a whole lot of that uh, a whole lot of that story. So it's, it's you know very, great. Mm. And I don't mean to interrupt you here. Oh, no, no, no. But, I, but I was, when I was you rambling. say. When you say the Ween writes and stuff for the Pasco Yates stuff, that's basically Frankenstein, mo- Frankenstein's monster, you know? Yeah. So yeah. There, there's those kind of stories out there for purists, if you like that. I get a lot of flack for really enjoying the outer space stuff, which happened a little bit later in Moore's run. Mm-hmm. But even then, with with there's only, I believe, even with the new Walmart Giants, uh, sure. seven volumes total. So Okay, okay. Uh, seven volumes sounds like a lot, right? But the, Not these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you're right. But I mean, the, the, volume two, I believe, was the longest with 171 issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a little bit of different kind of stuff for anybody, everybody out there. So maybe you don't like that more traditional look on a swamp thing. All right. Well, then, if you want to hop into volume three that focuses on Tefe sure. and that'll give you a whole different take or volume four where Andy Diggle um, really kind of focused on the monster that is the, the swamp thing, if he's separated from alec holland there's a lot of great stuff involving the parliament of of trees was that like more of a horror take on it or well it's it's funny you say that because everybody's like i i do have a new horror take on it and this is the new (laughs) but hey i've never associated swamp thing necessarily with horror i'm not like a a genre labeling kind of guy where i i say it's going to be horror or i don't like it sure because to me, swamp thing especially volume two alan moore i feel like i'm getting a nickel every time i say his name but to me, that's less horror, more of a love story. I can see that. Yeah. To somebody else, they'll look at it and fluid, go, yes. yeah, somebody else goes, well, there's so much uh, horror-themed things going in here. 
Uh, we, you talk about that flip with the anatomy lesson we referred to earlier, and they would see it as being sure. a horror title. I don't. But yeah, yeah, I, I guess that. I guess before I started ranting here, my, <laughs> my whole bit was it's it's easy to track down a lot of stuff. Nothing is well, I mean, there's a few issues out there, but nothing is, is, is something that's really out of the price range any casual fan could collect. And there are collections out there for anybody. So, yes, the, right. the more expensive ones are collected in trade. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you should never be intimidated by Swamp Thing. Like you said, you kind of touched on it, but you never really got fully involved yeah. in it. If someone out there listening or, or anybody was like, you know, I, I've always had that little bit of spark for good old swampy explore it go for it because you're not going to break the bank and there's still like that cap on the material out there we're not talking about you know 80 years of batman here sure sure so it's very accessible it's a great time for new fans to jump on and yeah and for completionism it is attainable Uh, in in some form or fashion whether it be digital collected or single so i mean it, it is it is something that is doable within one's lifetime Correct. So yes. If you are interested, it is it is there. But uh, you mentioned intimidation. That's funny because, you know, when I started Chris's on Infinite Earths, there were a few spurs I wanted to go down that were outside of my comfort zone. And Swamp Thing was one of them. But I didn't because, you know, it's like I can fudge something like on a Carrie Bates Bronze Age Superman issue. You know, I might get a fact wrong because I I wasn't alive, you know, 45, 50 years ago. There might be something uh, there might be a um, a relevant mention or a reference to something going on in the world that might go over my head or I might just not do the my due diligence and research. But I can get away with it with a Carrie Bates Superman story. If I mess something up with an Alan Moore Swamp Thing story. Somebody might actually question me on it. Somebody might actually put that at my feet and be like, hey, you messed this up. And that intimidation kind of kept me from really digging into uh, into the into more swamp thing and even even a little bit into the Pasco swamp thing, because uh, I think revisionist looking looking back, I think you could uh, you could make an argument for a lot of that informing what would come after with the more run, because. The more run kind of explains away some of the things that happened in the Pasco run in, uh-huh. in, in a way. Right. But uh, it's one of those things that I kind of I, I was just too uh, too cowardly, I suppose. I, I just didn't uh, I didn't want to insult or offend uh, real fans of this by giving my two cents and really not sticking the landing. Yeah. Where, you know, because I mean, it's you think it's like it's Alan Moore. It's It's a big deal. And people are very, very passionate about it. And also very, very knowledgeable, much like yourself. And uh, I'm not. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you're going to find a couple fans out there who walk around thinking they're like the end all be all <laughs> Swamp Thing fan. And, and listen, that's in any fandom. And sure, I get that. Certainly, certainly. But I, I'm, I, I've read everything. I, I even <laughs> I, myself, sometimes I, I gloss over what issue this was or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm not getting attacked by anybody. I think overall Swamp Thing fans or myself in particular – if you show interest and you you act like you are you know want to care about the character, yes. I'm cool with it, man. It's these people now like there's a TV show coming out, yeah. so you're gonna get all these people coming out of the woodwork. He's my favorite character of all time, and oh my yeah, exactly. That's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. Now if there's someone who ends up watching this show, gets and an interest, yeah, great. Awesome. The, the seeds have been planted. I mentioned earlier, my love for the Hulk started from a cartoon. You know, it, it's the way it goes. But if you're just going to, you know, 
be like some kind of elitist. Yes. <laughs> I know everything about Swamp Thing. Oh, are you kidding me? That's not issue number 85. That's issue number 86. And as a matter of fact, was, no, stop that. Come on. That's not, that's no fun. No, relax. Really take it easy. You know, <laughs> this is the world we live in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned that we're up to volume seven. So we had the first volume is the, uh, the Ween writes right? Correct. Second volume opens with Pasco goes through more into Veach into Collins, Wheeler, the chief. Oh, Wheeler. Wheeler. Collins, right. And then we end up going into Millar. To Miller, yeah. Miller, Miller, Millar, whatever. The names. I think, <laughs> what is my name? I don't even know what my name is. David. Anymore. Well, you know, it's funny because Len Ween, I call him Ween. Some people say wine. Wine. It's true. It's but I true. say Ween just sounds better to me. Rick Veach sounds better. Well, we, but we yeah. also we also have that difference of opinion with GIF and Jeff. So GIF. I say GIF. You say <laughs> I peanut say butter. GIF. GIF. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so um, Grant Morrison, Mark Mala, that ended that run. So okay. yes, and then we uh, we went on to the Vaughn, Vaughn, uh, Diggle, no, and then now four, right, and then Will Pfeiffer there. He he did a little bit of that. Um, okay. So where are we now? We're at one, two, three, four. Yes. What am I forgetting? Uh, the new fifty-two. Oh yes, the new fifty. Oh geez, how. <laughs> Somebody slap me. <laughs> yes, the new 52, which to me, and this is this this speaking of like hardcore Swamp Thing fans, boy, this this really gets people their blood boiling. It, huh? Yes, because some people loathe it. I thought it was fantastic. Scott Snyder's run was chock full of homages. I think it was Yannick Paquette. His artwork was fantastic. Very Towards nice, yes. the end of it. Uh, I will. I'm not ashamed to say I don't think Scott Snyder can really stick many landings. But we then had Charles Sewell come on the book, who, again, I say soul, 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 (laughs) whatever, tomato, tomato. But anyway, his run to me was complete and utter magic. I loved all of it. Uh, That ended with the new 52 ended wonderfully beautiful stuff. And then we get some convergence with Len Wein and Kelly Jones, which I believe. Vampire Batman. Yes. Yes. The Red Rain Batman, which. A lot of fans seem to uh, like, you know, I thought it was OK, but Convergence was not my <laughs> my cup of tea. But then we also got the Len Wein, Kelly Jones miniseries out of that. Yes. Which, again, it, it's kind of uh, one of those things. Some fans love it. Some fans hate it. I'm kind of on a middle ground about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also got the oh, I'm sorry. That was supposed to spin off into an ongoing. But unfortunately, Len Wein uh, sadly passed away. And that's when the book went into limbo. And right now we've been dealing with various guest appearances that really make no sense whatsoever. And uh, the Walmart Giants. Certainly. Okay. Very good. Now, going back to the new 52 here, Mm -hmm. um, how much – because I I bought that one as it came out uh, for for, uh, much of the run. I I think I might have dipped out. I might have dipped out when they announced it was being canceled, uh, which is something I don't usually do, but I think I was – I was kind of at that tipping point with I just had so many books I was buying that I wasn't getting to or whatever it was. But uh, I remember seeing the first issue of that uh, Superman showed up, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it established that there was a past between the two. They knew each other. They knew of each other. And uh, I didn't exactly know if that was a reference to pre flashpoint or if that was just them setting a table for something new. Uh as someone who who knows about this stuff, what was that? 
Well, actually, Superman appeared in the first issue of Swamp Thing yes. 52. Yes. Yeah, he does appear again because uh, Swamp Thing has to go to Metropolis and there's a whole thing with a scarecrow in Charles Soul, Sewell, whatever his name is, run. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't really. It, it's weird because like the whole New 52 thing, I don't really go too far into why or how they knew each other. I just kind of mm-hmm. assumed they did know each other. Okay. Because I didn't know if that was a reference that I didn't get. Or uh, which, I mean, the new 52 as a as a, you know, tabula rasa reboot. I mean, when you open a Green Lantern volume and Sinestro is the Green Lantern because it was the way it was pre Flashpoint, mm-hmm. it gets kind of it gets kind of nebulous and weird. So I didn't know if uh, Swamp Thing was keeping a lot of its former conceits and trappings to bring with them or if this was kind of a scorched earth. Here's the new Swamp Thing you know, uh, hit the ground, start now, go. So I, I didn't know how, how someone who actually was, you know, knowledgeable about the character and knowledgeable about the history, what, what your take was, did you see this as a brand new start? You know, I wasn't like you, I didn't have a, you know, cork board up on the wall with a bunch of red strings trying to figure out <laughs> what reference. I still have what. that. Yes. You do. I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't really focused on, you know, his relationship with Superman. I just considered that like a, as a throw in. Okay. I was more interested in, yes, how were they restarting Swamp Thing? Most namely, I guess I'm ready to do the, to, I'm sorry, I guess I'm ready to do the spoiler now. Sure. Wherein uh, Alan Moore revealed he, he wasn't Alec Holland at all, but rather a monster who believed himself and had the memories of Alec Holland. So how were they going to do that in the New 52? It was revealed here that he was still Alec Holland. It That's wasn't, what I was going to ask you. Okay. Yes. Cool. Okay. Um. I did also uh, note that Scott Snyder's run was chock full of homages to the Ween Wrights and stuff, to the Alan Moore stuff, but it did go in its own direction. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a lot. This is where a lot of fans kind of took issue with it, because if you were a fan of that original material, this was kind of like, great. All right. Okay. It it is Alec. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. This is Alec Holland. So this is cool. We have the actual Alec Holland here. To other fans that preferred the Alan Moore twist, you were like, come on. Yeah. You know, that was so cool. Why would you just wipe that out entirely, you know, within this run uh, or at least to start this run? But uh, again, I think and I recommend people go pick up the trades or the single issues, again, not expensive and check it out themselves, because whatever side of the fence that you sit on there, Scott Snyder at least started out and did a very good job on the book. Okay. Um. What I preferred, I actually preferred Sewell's run more, Mm -hmm. and I found it more in tune to Alan Moore's, a lot of fantasy going on, a lot more to do with the Parliament of Trees, which in many Mm -hmm. ways is a character, um, there's been a lot of like, you know, bit characters that come and go. This is not one of them. This is one of the main characters of the book. This lore, yeah. The Parliament of Trees are just as important as Abby or Matt Cable or anybody else. They make up the character itself, so... Uh, it dealt a lot with that and it was really fascinating. So, uh, yeah, I, overall, I love the new 52 stuff. I thought it was fantastic. Now, how much of that, like, uh, you mentioned that he's doing, uh, he's doing guest appearances now. He's, he shows up in Justice League Doc. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how much of the, cause I, you know, when Rebirth happened, a lot of people looked at it as a continuation of new 52 stories with a sprinkling of pre flashpoint, some people looked at it as a complete, you know, put it, you know, sweeping the new 52 under the carpet. 
and uh-huh. going back to pre-Flashpoint, what was, what is, where is Swamp Thing today? Oh, the listeners can't see this, but I have my hands on my face right now. <laughs> now I, this is, oh boy, because the, the Len Wein, Kelly Jones mini. That mini, that was like during the DCYOU era a little yes, bit, right? Yes, okay. It, Basically, though, that was going to be Rebirth. They were going to lead into what they established there into Rebirth. Uh, into an ongoing. And okay. it was it was confusing as heck, man, because it was Alec Holland still. Okay. Um, But a lot – it was I, – I think Len Wein really cherry-picked what he did and didn't like throughout the entire continuity of Swamp Thing mm-hmm. uh, to the point where, you know, he, he kind of reestablished some of the stuff that he brought forward. You know, and it, it, with, he had every right to. He created the darn thing. Certainly. Uh, but with Matt Cable, because Matt Cable and Abby, I wasn't – I hate to say it, but I wasn't super fond of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really my cup of tea. I I really kind of want to go back in that Alan Moore direction. Okay. Um, with the guest appearances, we had some terrible ones with the terrifics. God, <laughs> they were so bad. Uh, damage. It was oh, just terrible. Oh, that's right. He fought damage, didn't he? And the, the whole thing made no sense. Yeah. And plus, there's um, some recognizable things about Swamp Thing. And, and any fan would know this. The orange speech bubble, the pause in speech. Some issues would have the pause. Some issues wouldn't. You didn't know if he was, again, what what he was. Was he the the monster? Was he the man? And it was sure. it was just so vague, and we didn't know what was going on. Now with Justice League Dark, and I'm not a big uh, fan of him being a team player. Certainly. I, uh, so, but Justice League Dark is is one of my favorite DC titles, if not the only title of DC I think is worth buying right now. <laughs> uh, but Tinian is sticking more with the Alan Moore vision. Okay. In the Walmart giants, Tim Seeley is also sticking more in tune with that vision. Okay. But it's not really said. It's kind of like, I'm a fan so I can pick up on it. Certainly. Which is probably the best not to, not to say one way or another, because it will keep as someone who knows about it, like you do it, it's, it feeds what you want it to feed. We, we, we talk a lot offline about headcanon. Mm-hmm. And how headcanon is really just about the last respite <laughs> of the comics fan these days. It's all we've got left. Yeah, because, all that matters, right? Because you mentioned just now that sometimes, you know, the yellow, the orange uh, balloon is there. Sometimes it's not. I mean, in fairness to DC, they only have about five or six editors on each book. So, I mean, you can't <laughs> expect them to catch all of it. All but, right. uh, but, I mean, it's it, – it's, I, I like what you're saying here because, like, you, you pick up what you need to, to – tell your story to tell the story the way you want it to be. And if you don't get all those references, it doesn't matter. You're not going to lose out on anything. It's a, uh, it's kind of, it's gravy, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where if it was a Batman book, people would be <laughs> up in arms freaking out. Like, is he Bruce Wayne? Isn't he Bruce Wayne? Who is he? What's true. going on? Very you know, true. now with Swamp Thing, it, the, the fan base is still not sure exactly what is going on with the character, where he stands, what continuity, again, continuity out the window, but still what right. version are we dealing with here? Uh, I get it. You know, now they let writers write whatever they want. As long as it's a good story, that's all that matters. It doesn't, it doesn't have to tie into this or that or any other thing. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, head cannons, all that matters. What I think is real as a, as a paying consumer is all that counts. Sure. Because DC sure as heck obviously does not care. <laughs> but still, I want a little bit more solid footing here. I, I kind of want to know where he stands. There was um, Scott Snyder and Greg mm-hmm. Capullo was supposed to be doing a, a new series. What's Eventually, up with that? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. going on? I don't know. I mean, 
as a Swamp Thing fan, it, it really is frustrating mm-hmm. not knowing what the future may hold or even really what I'm dealing with right now. Sure. I I love these Walmart giants, though. You know I love them to death. Certainly. certainly. I, I think they're fantastic. They're affordable. They're, they're short stories, but so far they've been done very well. I like the direction that they're taking him in. Mm-hmm. But again, how long how long is that going to last? Yeah. The, the Snyder stuff could just wipe all that out and not even be related to it. I, I really don't know. And uh, I don't know if it's because Swamp Thing is more of a niche kind of character we that has a specific fan base. It's not the majority, maybe. That they can play around like that and they can kind of, you know, go with, uh, yeah, whatever, Swamp Thing. Just go with the flow, man. We don't have to establish anything. I don't know. But it it is bugging the the crap out of me. It's it's funny funny you mention that because there's a a period of time between Infinite Crisis and Superman Secret Origin that Mm -hmm. I I refer to. Anytime I talk about it on the blog, I refer to it as the nebulous interim because so much of uh, SAS, which is Silver Age – stuff that was brought back with infinite crisis uh that, that's what people were calling it online at the time only they didn't say stuff but uh all that stuff was brought back into superman's uh his origin his history his his experience right and uh nobody would give a definitive origin for the post infinite crisis superman and uh, so many people were like freaking out. It's like, well, who are we reading? Is this is this birthing matrix? Matrix? Is this the burn stuff? Is this pre-burn right. stuff? Is this Siegel Schuster stuff? I mean, what is this? Who are we reading about? And uh, it was all because Superman's Secret Origin took forever to come out. So we had these like two or three years where we just really didn't know who was what we were really dealing with. And like they'd bring back like Steve Lombard would show up from who hadn't been <laughs> right. seen since the the Bronze Age, and there's just so much weird stuff was coming up where you just didn't know where you were. And I, and as a Superman fan, you kind of have strength in numbers where everyone's like, okay, you need to clear this up. Right. With Swamp Thing, however, like you said, he's more niche, and uh, I mean he's got a more ethereal vibe to him anyway, so you can make a lot of things fit. Um. I mean, you could even jump back to an old Moorism, what he did with uh, with uh, Marvel Man back in Warrior. He kind of excised all of the uh, all of the Silver Age stuff by making it a hallucination. Mm-hmm. So a government mandated the hallucination to make him feel like he was an experienced hero. But uh, you have it where those stories happened in a way, you know, they just didn't happen in yeah, this yeah. At where he stands now. So I mean, everything could exist. But uh, yeah. you know, with Superman, it's different. But with Swamp Thing, I mean, right. it could be anything. But that doesn't make it any more satisfying at this point in time. Put it Until... this way. I, I recently, I'm sorry to cut you off no, again. No, I'm, such, I'm, a, I'm a jerk. But I recently <laughs> did a review of the, the first uh, Swamp Thing giant. And up, I, got, up, up. Yeah. I got so excited because I saw something that I believe ties into Mark Millar's run. Okay. And I, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I have no idea. But I'm so hungry for some kind of, uh, you know, continuity breadcrumb. You got it, man. Just something, a little nugget that I wrote <laughs> in the review. I'm like, oh, fans of the Millard run are going to love this. Is it real? I don't know. <laughs> it, it's my theory. It's my personal yep. theory. And, and it's just something that I don't know. Is it real? Is it going to stick? Is it not? I have no idea, but I want it. I want it so darn right. bad. So, so is it a breadcrumb or is it an Easter egg? You know, you don't know which way it is. Is it something that just a couple of people, it's a nod to people, or is it actually something that they're going to build on? It's uh, it's very interesting. And and I like that 
as a tenured and uh, and knowledgeable fan, you you did pick up on something like that. Well, I don't even know if it's real. I, I was going to say you don't even know if the writer intended it. You don't even I, know if Sealy had it in mind, it's, or if it's just something that happened. Yeah, I can only hope he had read that material, and he, he, you know, what I mean, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. he never even read that run. I don't know. I really don't. And I've, I've talked to the writer uh, in the past, and he seemed like a very knowledgeable, uh, good fan. But I don't know what he's read, what he didn't, or what he's inspired by necessarily. So, I mean, I could just be again. Can I borrow that cork board you got with the red <laughs> strings? And I don't care about Superman, but I got to figure this out with the whole elemental forces, man. Oh, I got to get get to the bottom of this one. Well, we're gonna we This is all out of order here, but uh, it's something I, I had <laughs> that I wanted to ask you about, but we sure. didn't get to it yet. Before Flashpoint, they brought Swamp Thing back at the end of Brightest Day. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Because that was, I remember, Brightest Day ends, and this is a spoiler alert for almost a decade-old story. John Constantine or Constantine returns to the mainstream DC universe at the end of that. Right. You know, and uh, from that spins out a three issue miniseries, Brightest Day, The Search for Swamp Thing. Right. Where he he Superman and Batman, right, go out and look for Swamp Thing because uh, correct. Brightest Day did a whole bunch of stuff with bringing him forward. So what were your thoughts on that? And did you see that as something had the new 52 not happened and they did spin into a new Swamp Thing take? How different would that have been from what we wound up getting with the Snyder run post Flashpoint? That's a great question, man. You know, because so much of that was lost on me. In regards to that, I I just I don't like tie ins. I don't like all this. I think I might have mentioned that earlier, like all these these miniseries and and, and how uh, Blackest Night and everything else or Brightest Day has to tie into every book. But that one in particular I'm just glad Swamp Thing is back and in prominence. Mm-hmm. I've never really, and the reason why I think it's so interesting, I never really stopped to think what would have happened if there wasn't a new 52. What direction would that have taken? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm glad the new 52 happened because that's. I'm not sitting there thinking what if, what mm-hmm. would have happened, or what would have came out of that. But I really enjoyed what did happen do you know what i mean satisfying enough yes i i think i really do you know um and i really again i sound like uh the the worst fan of the world but the (laughs) search for swamp thing wasn't i didn't think was the best series ever produced you know i'm right there with you it was that's someone who really doesn't have much of a uh much of a dog in the fight but i just thought it was an extra three issues on something that was already over long and it's it's one of those things where I kind of have the rule where if you see if you see Swamp Thing, buy Swamp Thing within reason, uh, you know. Uh, but that was not the best <laughs> series ever. Uh, so uh, yeah, just to I guess uh, maybe I'm not answering your question fully here, but I've never really stopped to think what what would have happened had we not gotten this and gotten this instead. And I, but you I really, did you did read the three issue mini. I right? did. Yes. I How did. different was that from what we wound up getting? Well, I'd, I'd have to say very, considering this was just a complete, well, New 52 is a complete kind <laughs> of reboot. Certainly, certainly. Um, so they yeah. didn't take anything with them from that mini. I mean, it's been ages since I read either story, but, uh, and I and like I mentioned, I don't have the working knowledge, but uh, does it feel like they took anything from that with them? No. Other than the name, this is Swamp Thing, and we're going to go with Swamp Thing. Well, not that particular okay. event, no, but okay. there's... Um, Again, the re- another thing I love about the Scott Snyder stuff, there is tons and tons of nods to the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's not 
particularly giving any props to that series. <laughs> I don't think anybody should per se, but but he does really uh, show a lot of love for the creators that came before. And uh, I'll always tip my cap for, to Snyder for that. What he did, I, I think, was was brilliant. It's when he got into Rot World where oh, he really started falling apart. Oh, God, Rot World was, was not my favorite. He, everything's not my favorite. <laughs> okay, show over. See you later. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Been a blast. Uh, the reason I asked that is because uh, Brightest Day had two series that ran. It was Brightest Day and then Brightest Day uh, Justice League Generation Lost. Uh-huh. And uh, that focused on the JLI, you know, the, the Giffen DiMatteis type stuff. Uh, uh-huh. And that ended with a promise that JLI was going to come back. And JLI did come back post-Flashpoint, but it was a totally different animal at that point. Where they really, I mean, it was all brand new characters at that point. I mean... You had Booster Gold and Guy Gardner on the same team, but they didn't know each other. So right. there was no history, no reason for them to be together other than, other than the fact that they needed people to fill a team at that point. So I didn't know if uh, if they – because I don't know what might have been added to the lore during Brightest Day and the Search for Swamp thing. If there was anything added or if it was just playing off stuff that happened in the past. Uh, but I, I didn't know if there was any kind of demarcation between – you know, Search for Swamp Thing number three and Swamp Thing volume whatever number one, New no. 52. No, there's but, uh, nothing of, of relevance that okay. is worth mentioning or worth keeping exploring. or anything. <laughs> but it, it is kind of funny how you mentioned that whole JLI thing. Guy Gardner doesn't know, you know, whoever. Yeah. And, yeah, when uh, the New 52 Swamp Thing started, Abby didn't know Alec. He, you know, she didn't know Swamp Thing. Okay. And, yeah and, yeah. and that, you know, irritated a lot of people, understandably. But for sure. me, I'm like, well, let, well, let's wait. Let's see where this goes, let's you know, because it is a reboot. It's a relaunch. So, I mean, they, they got to uh, and flesh it out. Yeah. And it turned out really, really well. I again, I'm on the side that endorsed the new 52. I liked it. My only complaint was it didn't last long enough. Mm. And I think it's my whole complaint with any reboots in the the, <laughs> the industry in general. Now, it's like, OK, listen, I'm at an age you can reboot all you want. Provided you wait a decade to do it. <laughs> right. You know, give us give us five, ten years worth of stories before you say, all right, now we're starting all over again. Yeah, not not three to six months before we start going into lame, do- lame duck uh, writing and uh, just waiting for the next number one. Gotta <laughs> slap that number one on an issue, Chris. It's the only way that son of a gun is going to sell. Mm-hmm. But now uh, we are up to today. And you did yeah. mention that you read Justice League Dark. Are there? And you mentioned it's the only book that you find worth buying. Is, are there any others that you that you do buy? Not anymore. No. Nothing no, you need I, in your I long was, box. No, I, I was digging action comics. I was digging Doomsday Clock. But uh, <laughs> luckily, I live in an area that has an excellent half price books, mm-hmm. so I can go buy some great reads on the cheap. And uh, yeah, man, I'm not. I'm not really into spending full price on books anymore. I think it's uh, it's just too darn high. Now uh, we talked about that uh, just a little while ago off the air that you uh, you actually made, and you'd think that these are just impulse purchases, but I mean you bought three brand new comics. That turns into an investment because yeah. you're spending, you're, you know, you're you're putting down a twenty dollar bill and uh, <laughs> you're getting you're not getting much back. No, I can go to a discount store, a half price books, like I just mentioned or whatever, sure. and I can spend seven bucks, get a bunch of comics, get T-shirt. Yeah, 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 you know, whatever you want. And then uh, I go to my LCS and for three issues of Justice League Dark, I'm paying 13 bucks. Yeah. So for, for half that, I'm getting way much more material. And, and I stick with Justice League Dark. And, uh, I, you know, I talked about the Hulk earlier and <laughs> me breaking off from him and how much that, that hurt me. 
but in many ways, I'm, I'm kind of still playing that card with Swamp Thing. Okay. Uh, now, listen, Justice League Dark is good. I think Tinian is doing some, some wonderful stuff. It's getting a little uh, hokey now, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And it's kind of losing its way a little bit. But mm-hmm. I still try to it, – It's I can maintain it, the Swamp Thing. You know, sure. stuff. It's, it's not something out of control. But, yes, I, luckily I, I, I live in a place where I can get comics for way cheaper – and sometimes these publishers aren't writing for me anymore. I'm not the demographic. They don't want the 40 year old guy. No. They're trying to get the kids. They they're trying to they're trying to hook people now, not on comic books, but but movie on theater popcorn and butter. brands and par- properties. Yeah. Exactly. We want to sell you the pops. We want to sell the t-shirts. We want to get you in the theaters. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily want to get you into the comic book shop. And that's not my bag, baby. I I'd rather <laughs> go dig in the bins, and I I enjoy Absolutely. it more. I'm at a point in my life where I often tell a story. When I was in my 20s, I met a guy at my age. Mm-hmm. I'm giving up on comics. I've had enough. The prices are too darn high. The, you know, everything I just said, they're not writing stories for me. And I looked at him and I'm, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> this, he's not a real fan. This guy giving up, you know, what's the matter with him? But now I am him. Yep. And I'm enjoying collecting more than I ever have. It, it feels like, or at least I have in 20 years. Yeah, it's it's more intrinsic now. It's not you're you're not you're not rushing to the shop every Wednesday because you're 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 gonna take the plate of what they shovel. You know, the, that's the slop that they plop on your plate. You're not taking that anymore. You're taking you're you're picking what you want. You're picking what makes you happy, and uh, you're filling in runs that you want to have filled in rather than. Just buying what they're telling you. This is what you're buying, or you're you're not getting anything new. Yeah, so uh, I, yeah, I think that you're uh, I think you're dead on. I think you're right. Uh, I I think a lot of us can take a uh, a word from that, uh, myself included, perhaps especially. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's just a different world we're living in now. But uh, so you're only reading that. You're not reading anything from Marvel, anything from uh, the Indies, or. No, nothing from Marvel, nothing from the indies. I do read review copies. Certainly. For DC. And I do mm-hmm. get uh, review copies for some of the other publishers as well, but nothing's really. I, I, it's like uh, I'm a dad. I'm a busy guy. I'm a husband. So a lot of times I'm running around trying to get this done, that done. I do a podcast. You know, I, I got a lot of hobbies. And so when I sit and I want to enjoy myself and dedicate my time to, to reads, a lot of the modern stuff wasn't floating my boat. So mm-hmm. I like sticking with the things I know I'm going to enjoy sure. or or even older stuff I might discover for the first time. Also so true. Also true. That's where I'm really focusing uh, on as far as the hobby and me now. And uh, it's been wonderful. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's definitely a, a healthy way to way to remain a fan uh, when the when the current product isn't for you. You still find some sort of bliss to have. And uh, I, I definitely want to thank you for coming on and discussing Swamp Thing, giving me quite an education because – I, uh, like I said, I only read a little bit of it and I liked what I read. It just, uh, I guess I'm just not a, not as good a fan as I thought. I just, <laughs> couldn't no, stick no, with it. no, you're just going to find the right stuff for you. You know, it's, it's, true. it's the same thing with, with Superman. You look at all the years of Superman, not everything is going to float your boat, but there is one little story out there or one arc or no, one decade or yeah, yeah. it's going to rock your socks, get his hooks in you. And then the next thing you know, you get a Superman tattoo. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Now, uh, I'm actually going to invite you to stick along with me after the uh, after the horns here, because we're going to go right into the hot take. And uh, since it is a Swamp Thing related hot take, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on it as well. So if you'll hang with me till after the horns, we will jump right on in. Awesome. And we're back. Wow, that was 
That was a long break, wasn't it? I am um, aged 10 years. At the very least. Now, uh, what we're going to discuss today is a letter from Usenet, of all places. Um, well, I, I, I go to Usenet a lot, so it's not of all places, I suppose. But uh, uh-huh. this is going to be a... Uh, a message board post from a fellow that goes back to 1983. So, yes, there was Internet of sorts back in 1983. People were discussing these things electronically. And uh, we're going to be discussing a fellow who just read The Anatomy Lesson, so Swamp Thing number 21. And uh, he's sharing his thoughts. His name is Mike. And uh, we're going to read through this entire piece here, and then we'll give our thoughts after that. Now, Mike starts his letter with... This was, let me give the date here. This was November 6th, 1983. So he was, it was a a brisk day probably. And he says, I don't know about you, but I like Alan Moore as the new writer of Swamp Thing. He did a good job on several strips in Warrior, the British black and white mag also recommended. His first effort, number 20, was about average, but the new issue, 21, makes a major change in Swampy's life, so to speak. The whole issue is narrated by Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. Plant Man and the Floronic Man, who has been hired to dissect Swampy to see what makes him tick. The answer is nothing. The internal organs look like look something like heart, lungs, kidneys, brains, etc., but none of them actually work. His conclusion, in Woodrow's own words, Alec Holland is already dead. His body goes into the swamp with the formula that it is saturated with. And once there, it decomposes. A patch of swampland like that would be teeming with microorganisms. It wouldn't take long, General. But what about the plants in the swamp? The plants that have been altered by the biorestorative formula. The plants whose hungry root systems are busily ingesting the mortal remains of Alec Holland. Those plants eat him. They eat him as if he were a planarian worm, or a cannibal, or a wise man, or a genius on rye. They eat him, and they become infected by a powerful consciousness that does not realize it is no longer alive. It remembers having bones, and so it builds itself a skeleton of wood. It remembers having muscles, and constructs muscles from supple plant fibers. You see, we were wrong, General. We thought that the Swamp Thing was Alec Holland, somehow transformed into a plant. It wasn't. It was a plant that thought it was Alec Holland. And he says, neat idea, and one that explains a lot, but it flatly contradicts the Jerry Conway scripted stories where Swampy changes back to Holland and later back to Swampy again. I also wonder whether it explains Swamp Thing's intelligence, which Moore has used the issue before. And he uh, gives uh, some bullet-pointed comments, and he says, the Conway tales were being ignored anyway. They admitted that from issue number one. Moore did a similar, in spirit anyway, revision of Marvel Man in Warrior Number 12, revealing that most of his life and adventures had really been hallucinations induced by the government. And finally, Moore's grasp of scientific theory is probably well illustrated by his reference earlier in Swamp Thing 21 to a computerized alarm system known as Silicon Sentries. That's silicone, not silicon. Oh, well. I don't know what that one means, but uh, we'll let it go. <laughs> Uh, now he continues, or he wraps up his uh, his missive here. Speaking of ignoring Jerry Conway, probably a good idea anyway, I hear that Jack Kirby is coming back to DC to finish up his fourth World Series. They will reprint the original trilogy, Mr. Miracle, New Gods, Forever People, but not Jimmy Olsen. Then Kirby will write and draw new issues that take up where the originals leave off. 
the other issues, which came out in the late 70s, scripted by Conway and Levitz, I seem to remember, will be ignored. Now all those people who read the pa- that The Pact was the greatest comic story ever printed, as some polls show, will have a chance to read it for themselves. So uh, one thing you might notice about Usenet is that these these things, just like message boards now, they go all over the place. So he starts talking about Swamp Thing, but he ends talking about some uh, Fourth World stuff. But uh, we're going to concentrate primarily on the Swamp Thing stuff. And uh, starting at the beginning here, a warrior magazine that he referenced was an anthology magazine published in Great Britain. It featured several stories per issue and would, cl- would include Alan Moore's early work on features like V for Vendetta and uh, the reimagined Marvel Man that we know as Miracle Man over here in the U.S. Um, now, I lucked into a handful of these warrior magazines. Have you ever read a warrior magazine? No, I have not. Unless it's Guy Gardner Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> or or that, uh, that, that short-lived Ultimate Warrior one from... Uh, Whenever that was, oh. but uh, <laughs> but the uh, the Warrior magazine I found this in a bookstore uh, probably around the turn of the century uh, because you know the internet wasn't as uh, as information heavy about things like comics fandom as it is now where at a glance now I think if a lot of people see Warrior magazine they might make the connection in their head that you know oh that's where V for Vendetta comes from you know I mean there are, there are covers. With V's mask on it, but before the movie came out, I don't think anybody really knew that it was a Guy Fox mask and it was a reference to a comic strip. Right. You know? But I knew because I was, you know, uh, using that guy constantly, all the time. Uh, didn't have much else to do, I guess. But uh, so I, I picked up these Warrior magazines and uh, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to have. Um, I don't have anywhere near a full set of them, but uh, they're pretty neat to have. They're pretty neat to flip through the. Uh, the black and white is pretty nice. Um, I guess when something's being drawn with, you know, an eye toward being in black and white, it it's more fitting in black and white, maybe. Yeah, right. It's tailored yeah. that way, right? That's the word I was looking for for sure. Now it would be Alan Moore's work in Warrior, as well as you know, 2000 AD, like they all do, uh, that caught the eye of Len Wein, who at the time was working in one of his many roles. He was an editor for DC Comics. Now, as as uh, the fellow here, uh, Mike mentioned. Alan Moore's first issue of Swamp Thing was not the anatomy lesson. It was the one before that, which kind of bridged from the Pasco work into his own ongoing piece. And uh, he continues and says, the anatomy lesson is completely narrated by Jason Woodrow, the Floronic man. And of course he notices that these organs, they're not really organs. They just, they're just stuffing Mm -hmm. uh, because the body thought itself to be Alec. So it grew what it thought it needed to actually be Alec Holland here, and uh, he talks about a study done with flatworms. Have you have you uh, heard of the flatworm study? Yeah, only after I read the anatomy lesson did mm. I kind of look up some of the stuff because it seems so wild and crazy to me that these worms could basically get o- almost like memories from they other people. Like, or, they get skill sets almost. It yeah, it's crazy. And I was like, can this be real? So of course he <laughs> had to start digging and you know look up the Encyclopedia Britannica and see if yeah. that stuff was legit. <laughs> yeah, because these were in uh, 1960 when uh, you know uh, the science might not have been where it needed to be for this kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, they uh, they would train worms or they would have worms go through mazes basically, mm-hmm. right. and uh, they would chop up the worms that did it and feed it to other worms, thinking that. Like that the memories were like sort of kind of imprinted on its RNA mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way, um, 
you know, the results are contested uh, because, I mean, it was a very long time ago. And uh, I don't think there were any cameras on these experiments. But, uh, you know, the uh, the government does fund sillier things than that. And uh, you never know. I mean, it could very well be this. This could be a thing that works 100 percent of the time for all we know. I mean, yeah. I'm not a scientist. But, Me neither. Uh, no, <laughs> I will but, uh, say this, though. I'm very envious of all your comic book knowledge. So uh, right now I'm envisioning <laughs> you on a spit. Yes. With an apple uh, in your mouth. A Chris on rye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, Mike's thoughts on the uh, on this new Alan Moore take, they're primarily positive. But he does mention how this flies in the face of earlier stories. He does say yeah. that it was acknowledged that these stories, the late uh, who was a Jerry Conway stories were taken out of continuity. And it just so happens that Len Wein said so himself in the letters page of Saga of the Swamp Thing, volume two, number six. And uh, we're going to get a twofer here. We're actually going to read a letter. And uh, this one is from a William Bitterman. And he says, Dear Len, I'm glad to see Swamp Thing back again, though I was a little disappointed in the first issue, being a fan of the original run, which, in which we left with a normal Dr. Holland and not with Swamp Thing. So, of course, he's referring back to that first volume. Uh, he says, he continues to say, I was hoping for an explanation of how he transferred back. I'm sure you have some of the unpublished stories from that first one, e.g. the Hawkman vs. Swamp Thing story promised for issue number 26, and would love to see them in this book. I hope to see Matt, Abigail, and Bolt again. Your mystery man, Mr. G, can't be Nathan Ellery, so he's either from the Conclave or Colossus. So that was that was printed in issue number six of uh, the new volume. To which Len replied, Sorry, William, but you comprise a minority of one in your fondness for those last issues in 1976, in which some misguided soul tried to turn Swamp Thing into a crypto superhero. As far as we're concerned, the stories published after issue 21 never happened. That is, Alec never became predominantly human. He never had a brother. There was never any Colossus, etc. The rabidly continuity-minded among our readers may consign those stories to another Earth or to the trash, trash heap. It's their choice. As for Matt Cable and the rest, they may turn up sometime in the future. But remember, the current storyline takes place six years after the previous saga. And when we meet Matt and company again, we will find them much changed. And by now, you've seen that our guesses about the about you'll see your guesses about the mystery men were sorry again, way off base. OK, so I knew that there was a time where he changed back and forth, you know, kind of like an Incredible Hulk sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was rage induced, but uh, I know he was no. able to change a little bit fluid there. I didn't know anything about his brother. Yeah, Edward. Edward was Edward. the brother. That's that's part of the reason I wanted to I wanted to keep you along here because you can fill me in and uh, maybe some of the listeners in on on just who was Edward Holland. He was a also a fellow scientist and Conway did put him in the final two issues, which was also fairly interesting because they went through. Uh, Swamp Thing like logo redesign at that time and it was okay. like because fans demanded it but all fans are like wait we demanded what <laughs> it was an oval logo which I'm kind of okay. fond of now about how cheesy it was and everything and they promised a bold new direction like most comic publishers do mm-hmm. um, and the brother did in fact not fully cure Alec this mystery brother but he made it so he could switch back and forth from Swamp Thing to human form 
So he was and responsible for for the the shift. He was. He was. Okay. Okay. And they the whoever wrote that letter there mentioned that they gave that up in volume two when Pasco took over and and Len just basically said yeah we just we didn't want to keep it it was junk. <laughs> but Conway used it again when Swamp Thing in '77 appeared in an arc of Challengers of the Unknown, mm-hmm. and the brother Edward is referenced again, and that's the reason why he can change back and forth. Okay. So he has been lost in the you know the, the time machine here. We, I, I mean, who knows? Grant Morrison might bring him back tomorrow. You never know, right? Yeah, make him some kind of omnipotent being or something. Is Edward Holland? Everybody look out. I don't know, but. Uh, <laughs> The whole changing back and forth thing was really cheesy. So, and it didn't, it kind of took away from the uniqueness of the character as well. Sure. sure. People got to remember too, at that point in time, Swamp Thing didn't really talk. So mm-hmm. uh, he, they said it was too hard for him to use the limited vocal cords that he could make out of, you know, whatever twigs and roots or sure, whatever he sure. had in his throat. And so uh, one thing that was funny is that in that issue, he was revealed. Swamp Thing does yell out, I'm your brother. It's like, woo, Swamp Thing. <laughs> he's he's speaking and he's speaking fairly clearly here. What a shocking thing! But yeah, that Conway stuff. Uh, I don't know, man. Just wasn't <laughs> wasn't the best uh, material ever. And then the series was canceled after issue number twenty-four. So okay, <laughs> there is an unpublished, unpublished, unpublished. I can't speak correctly here. Again, too much caffeine. But uh, number twenty-five that's been floating around online. So if you want to do a little searching, you can find that. That's that Hawkman versus Swamp Thing one that, uh, that the fellow mentions? Okay, you so that's ex- findable. It is, and Yannick Paquette actually made a new cover for it. How about that? Yeah, it is, and it's, it's pretty cool. So if you want to Google that, you'll have a lot of fun with that. But if you try to Google Edward, forget about it. <laughs> He's persona non grata everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, jumping back into uh, – to who was this guy? This is Mike. Back into Mike's letter here. He talks about um, – Alan Moore's take on Marvel Man. You know, uh, it was kind of one of those comic booky, everything you thought you knew was wrong thing that we get. We used to get sparingly, now get weekly, uh, daily sometimes. Sure. Um, now we had, uh, of course, Marvel Man, Kid Marvel Man, Young Marvel Man. They were a trio of superheroes having very Silver Agey adventures, but uh, it's hard to reconcile that with a with a superhero of the 80s. So what they did, or what Moore did, was made it so. All of those adventures were hallucinations. So he still experienced them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you could reference back to them uh, specifically because, in a way, they were still experienced. Um, but you're not beholden to them. You don't need to be like – you don't need to reconcile today with, you know, the, the time that, you know, Marvel Man wrote a, wrote a torpedo across the Atlantic or something. You don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, this brings me to an interesting uh, – to me, anyway, a little story about the first time I was ever I, I ever had a professional creator call out something I wrote on on social media. And uh, the day that this got published, I, this is this all comes from a piece I wrote from uh, for DC in the 80s dot com uh, from time to time. or I used to do it more regularly. I haven't done it in a while because just busy. Uh, I did a column called Usenet Fandom where uh, I, I did basically what I'm doing right now. I. I analyzed a Usenet post from the prehistoric internet, uh, just talking about how people reacted to big sweeping changes in comics uh, and even, you know, smaller changes in comics, just anything that might uh, be interesting to kind of comb over. And the day that this got published, uh, uh, Eric Lawson, the uh, creator of the Savage Dragon, 
was thrown a little bit of a fit about Alan Moore changing Swamp Thing. He claimed that it was disrespectful to the creators that came before him, and uh, it was uh, just it just disregarded the work that other people did. And uh, Michael Fife or Fief, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I'm thinking it's Fife. He's a uh, he's a creator who does uh, some comics for Image right now. He actually sent him this piece that I wrote, where Len himself says, "Yeah, that stuff's out of the continuity as it is." Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric Larson disappeared for a few minutes, and then came back and said. Uh, well, I still hate what he did with Marvel, man. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you got to be a curmudgeon in some way, I suppose. Um, just thought that was interesting. It was the uh, <laughs> first time that I ever that that I, that anybody that I had ever read had read anything that I had ever written. So I thought that was kind of yeah. interesting, even though he might have been doing it through gritted teeth because it uh, it it undercut his uh, his little screed yeah. on on Twitter. He's, but, uh, he's like, well, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Oh, uh, screw you anyway. I don't like yeah. this. This yeah, well, you like, shouldn't oh, have done that then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, the end of uh, Mike's letter here, he talks about Jack Kirby returning to the fourth world characters. And uh, I haven't the foggiest idea. This might be leading to the Hunger Dogs, that 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 little uh, graphic novel. But I, I don't know a whole lot about the fourth world. I'm not a not a huge fourth world guy. Um, I, I, I hear like if you make it two thirds of the way through it, it becomes like a religion to you. And I just haven't gotten that far. <laughs> But uh, that's that's basically it for the uh, for the hot take here. We have Mike giving his thoughts on the anatomy lesson, just like you gave your thoughts on the anatomy lesson during the previous segment. And uh, I, j- I just love seeing this kind of stuff where, uh, yeah. you know, you're making a sweeping change to a character. And uh, there are still fans out there who are trying to reconcile it. You know, I mean, even even me speaking personally, when the new 52 happened, I'm still trying to find connections to pre flashpoint. You know, whether they're intentional or not, whether they just didn't get swept into the bin like they were supposed to be, whether they're Easter eggs. I was always trying to make connections and I always wanted questions answered. And uh, one difference between, you know, 1984, 1983 and 2019 or even 2011 is that when you ask a creator a question like this, they'll give you a straight answer. You might not like it, but Mm -hmm. Len Wein here is like, yeah, never happened. Next. Or consider it to happen in another Earth. I think that's fairly interesting because he's like, all right, well, your your feelings are still kind of valid, even though I don't care about them. So there you go. (laughs) They might exist on planet, you know, or Earth number, you know, two billion eight hundred and seventy six here, whatever we want to call it. So exactly. Exactly. So it it addresses his concern, which I, I love because we don't really get that now. We don't really. uh It's like it's like, well, you know, you'll know you'll when we know, you'll know. It's kind of yeah. what we get. Uh, we talked about that weird nebulous interim where nobody knew what Superman's origin was. And it was just like, well, yeah, we'll get it to you. Don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. Uh-huh. Where here it's you know straight out. It's like he says you can assign it to another Earth or assign it to the garbage. Either way yeah. is fine by us. And now, that's not just them. It's also fans. It's it's mm-hmm. like he cares about Edward and about Swamp Thing sure. changing. And he, he has a right to, right? That was in continuity. Absolutely. But earlier on, you even asked me, hey, wh- what was the impact of Swamp Thing on Brightest Day? And I'm like, nothing. Now, <laughs> now, but technically, technically, they brought Alec Holland back in human form. But that sure. might have been significant to hundreds of people. Maybe nobody. I don't know. For me, it was like, meh. You know, yep. so, so if it's gone, it's gone. It's no big deal. But to somebody out there, they might look at another run and go how could they disregard that how come they're not using that and they get angry about it so hey yep it's true 
It's true. It's it's pretty crazy when you look at these. Uh, I mean, this is a post from uh, 36 years ago, mm-hmm. right? 30, 35, 36 years ago. And comics fandom on the Internet hasn't changed all that much. It's uh, it's very, very similar to uh, to what it is uh, now where uh, you have. You have people, if you go, if you look on Usenet, I mean, it's it's easy to find Usenet. Usenet has been absorbed by Google groups. You could search it out. You can find a lot of this stuff there. Um, but, like, you'll have fans who, uh, back in 1984, when, when Crisis was announced, who were, like, really, really keen on disregarding everything that came before. And then you yeah. have the other ones that are like, well, no, we need we need this to make sense. We need, we need to bring some of this with us, you know, out of Crisis. And, uh it's always so interesting to look at those because I wasn't part of that generation. And uh, I, I really appreciate that the fandom was as, uh, as hungry <laughs> as it was yeah. then, where, uh, you know, now it's very similar, but uh, we're, we get more excited about other things, other things than, than what's between the covers. Uh, yeah. If, uh, if we get an exclusive Funko pop, we're pretty nuts, but uh, you know, that, that is what it is. Uh, there people are passionate about what they're passionate about. But, uh, because you're too young for news yet, you survived on the uh, was it the Alvaro or Al- Alvaro Alvaro comic, Alvaro comic boards, yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> that's what it was, which I I used as well, and I was very mm-hmm. fond of. And I remember I was searching for it a little while ago, and I, I guess it's, it's still, still around. around. It yeah. still exists, and people use it. <laughs> I know, it's wild. It's you think wild. now with Twitter and everything, what's the point, you know? But it's true, people want to go on there, and and I know when I used to use it back in the early OOs. Mm-hmm. It was uh, character specific. Yeah, is it's not anymore. Oh, it isn't anymore. You can just go on and just ramble it, like I, this I, guy I, did I don't about something. Yeah, oh, I'm not sure okay. if it is or not. I haven't. I, I looked at it uh, probably when we talked about it a few months ago. I just don't remember if it was still character specific or not. It might be. It very well might be. Maybe I'll link to that in the show notes if uh, anybody uses show notes to uh, find things. Uh, they'll be able to find that. I remember the captain. Yeah, the Captain Marvel one was like my bread and butter. I loved when Captain Marvel came out and um, Peter David would be on there constantly chatting yes. up fans or talking with me or whatever. And it was a cool, mm-hmm. of course, again, pre whatever social media, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, that was pretty neat. I liked the fact that I could go there and just talk directly with people about this one character, Hulk or whoever I loved at the time. I didn't have oh, yeah. to wait through a bunch of rubbish to mm-hmm. find what I wanted to discuss. Yes, uh, Peter David was actually he was a prolific newsnetter too. Uh, it oh. would be him, um, Kurt Busiek would be on there sometimes, uh, <laughs> and uh, Christopher Priest would come on too. Uh, yeah. And uh, he he was always very interesting as well. It's it, it was a weird little uh, weird little world. It was a uh, definitely a sign of what was to come because uh, I mean if you look where we are now, it's uh, a yeah. it's like an open channel now. But uh, back then it was <laughs> it was something special. It was a uh, Something very, very different. Uh, and, you know, we, we look at these letters pages and you might send a letter out and you won't know if it's going to get printed until it's in your hand three, four, five months later if, in right. some cases. Where, you know, if you're on Usenet and you're like, you know, hey, on uh, you know, page three, uh, Captain Marvel, he said this. And then you, you might have Peter Dave be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is referring to that. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I chuckled at you when you mentioned him and uh, Busey. Because, I, you know, at first I'm like, oh, as if I'm surprised. But realistically, I shouldn't be. They'd be like the nerdiest guys on the face of the earth. Oh, they're they're big fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's get on Usenet right now. What do you think? They're abuse. Sounds good, Pad. <laughs> let's do it, buddy. Usenet Unite. Yes, that, that's a T-shirt right there. Usenet Unite. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that'll that'll probably wrap us up here. And uh, unless you have anything else to say about uh, Mike's missive or uh, William's letter to the editor. No, no, I don't. Um, I just want people out there to go read more comics, read more Swamp Thing, especially, and hopefully, as I rambled on during your show, which you graciously allowed me to do, maybe I got some people interested, and I want to thank you for having me on. You are the man. I I, I do what I can. I do what I can. Uh, But before you go, I I do want you to tell everyone where they can find you. Shameless plug. No, no, this is this is with shame. We we, oh. we feel very bad. We feel very bad about doing this. Okay, yeah, I feel terrible. <laughs> um, you can find my blog at uh, I got a, I got a, a blog called Two Staple Gold, which you can find at uh, Blogger. So just uh, mm-hmm. Two Staple Gold dot I think it's Blogspot, right? I don't even blogspot, know what is it. Yeah. Blogspot. I don't know if you had to write Blogger or Blogspot, but yes, Blogspot. Thank you, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a podcast, The Selling Out Show. You can find us on Twitter at selling out show where i don't talk about comics but i talk about the misery that is my life and mm-hmm. my random theories about stuff so if you're interested in any of that come aboard we'd love to have you absolutely and uh you know definitely thank you for coming on uh we've been trying to get this together for a while and uh schedules are what schedules are so we just haven't no, been able just, to just yours i have oh, no yeah. life I, I i do nothing all day i'm just waiting for you you know sitting at home I, I can see you looking out a window with a uh, rain coming down. Yeah. It's very depressing Some waiting around for music. This is terrible. I, I, I'm, the things I, I do, I, the things I live with. I'm an awful, selfish person, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> such is what it is. But definitely, thank you. And uh, anytime you want to come on and chat is uh, more than fine with me. Next uh, week, I'll be on next week. We, uh, I'll be your new co-host. How's that sound? <laughs> we could do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm watching you. Yes, yes. But <laughs> that'll do it. Um, <laughs> before we jam out, though, of course, you can reach Reggie and myself at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. We have a Patreon that we don't talk about all that much. It's at patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. We got a site for the show. That's Chris and There's also the site for the show that this show is named after or the site to the however I word that it's Chris is on And that's where you can find all of my stuff from every single day right now doing action comics daily a chapter a day uh, going through that i'd say historic run but uh i think people remember it i just don't think it's very historic uh <laughs> at least that's the impression i'm getting um <laughs> but uh what was i gonna say now if if you're on that site and there's any book on there you'd like to hear me discuss definitely drop me a line we can see what we can figure out if there's a book on that site that you'd like to come on and discuss, drop me a line and we will work something out there as well. Had a great time visiting with you. I had a great time visiting with my friend Dave and uh, hope to see you all again real soon. See ya. <laughs>